Hi, can you slate your name, please? Hi, I'm Austin Basis. I'm six foot two, and I'm based in Los Angeles. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Slate Your Name, the show where actors share true Hollywood tales and discuss the highs and lows of working in the entertainment industry. I'm your host, Michael McMillan, actor. This week, I'm speaking with a fellow actor, Austin Basis, a Brooklyn native who studied at the world-famous Actors Studio in New York. Uh, Maybe you watched Inside the Actors Studio as a young theater nerd growing up or just a general fan of the movies. Uh, Yeah, that Actors Studio. We'll get into that. Um, Austin and I met way back in the summer of 2001 while working on a little independent movie called Dorian Blues, which I starred in and shot during uh, my summer a summer break in college. Since then, Austin has gone on to work in a ton of film and TV projects, most notably Life Unexpected, Beauty and the Beast for CW, and the upcoming final season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, uh, which is coming up soon on Amazon Prime. I thought um, you guys would enjoy listening to Austin. He's a very thoughtful actor. He's a very hardworking actor. This guy has stuck it out for a long time, and it's been paying off. Um, It's always cool to uh, get back in touch with people that you worked with years ago and uh, haven't had a ton of catch-up since then. So I think you guys will really enjoy this conversation with Austin Basis. Oh boy, I'm sitting here with Austin Basis, my first and possibly, well, I've had a couple more, not many, but my first <laughs> on-screen kiss. Yeah, and it was, was it as good for you as it was for me? I, I mean, you had very nice lips, as Thank I you. remember. Yeah, it was late in the day, so I felt a little stubble, and that was like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the like, oh, yeah, this is new. Stubble. This is different. (laughs) Um, So, uh, Austin, it's good to talk to you. I think this is the first time we've actually sat down. Do you have an angry piano player in your (laughs) home? What's going on? I have an alarm for the the time of the interview. I set alarms (laughs) for everything because I'm late a lot. So, (laughs) I want to make sure that's off. Good thing. All right. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> what were you saying? You were early. You were early. Um yeah. I think this is the first time that you and I have sat down and chatted for more than five minutes since we shot Dorian Blues, a little independent film that we made together in yeah. Albany, New York, back in summer of two thousand one. The last yep. summer of innocence. Pretty much, yeah. For both of us. Yeah. And the world. For all of us. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Certainly for America. Um, yeah. But so I'm curious, how did you end up on that set of that of that movie? Well, uh, the writer, director, Tennyson Bardwell, um, I think he went to Carnegie Mellon. So that's how you ended up uh, there. Yeah, um, is, I yeah, didn't know him. It was years. He just kind of came back and looked for actors out of CMU, which he cast a few of us. Yes, right. Lee and you and uh, Ryan uh, mm-hmm. and who else? Sean Hader. Yeah, Academy, Sean, Academy, I mean, Academy Award, Award winning <laughs> winner, Sean Hader. That's right. Um, and uh, yeah, so he did the same thing in the New York schools. And I, I would just about to graduate the actor studio drama school. And so uh, he put in kind of a uh, casting call at the school for, um, you know, graduates or students that looked like they could play high school that were older than obviously it was grad school. So we're older than high school. I think uh, Carnegie Mellon's an undergrad. So um, that was easy. But uh, so there was only like a handful of us that went in for those roles. And we really went in for Dorian and, and uh, Nikki, right? Nikki was the brother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he just he was doing the kind of the first round leads, you know, casting call. And I had to read both. I, I you know, worked on it with my friend. We read both 
you know, we had done our thesis together and like we played brothers. And so we went in and we were like working on this. He played Nikki. I played Dorian. And then we flipped and we kind of worked on, you know, the same scene from both sides, almost like true West of that time. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, the, uh, the the John, John C. Riley, Riley and Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, yeah, the flipping role. So I did that. I did both. Went in. It was you know uh, I forget what they they called the place, but it was on Forty Second Street in the city, like kind of the off Broadway theater row uh, by Playwrights Horizons and all that. And it was this yep. big space, raw. Maybe it was the raw space. Uh, I was in the basement. We did the audition and we hung around and, you know, kind of, I think he excused everyone else. Right. And he asked me to come back into the room and he, he said, well, I got to be honest. He's like, you're great, but uh, you're, you're not, you're too big to play Dorian. You're, you're too, uh, <laughs> athletic looking not to, not to say you're not michael but uh <laughs> i'm not i will i'm not now i wasn't then right i am less athletic looking than i was now, then but basically it's like you're too athletic to you know and too you know yeah too athletic to play dorian and then you're you're too charactery and you know not you don't you don't strike me as the the you know homecoming king quarterback of the football team um which right never, right for nikki so, um yeah. even though i played sports i do i just was never that guy so you're like right in the middle and they said there's this other role i you know it's a kind of an odd role it has a few scenes i would be interested in, in interested in hearing you read it and so i read uh for spooky um, and I read just that one scene. He's like, I'll give you as much time He's, you know, he saw some other people and then I was the only one left. And he's like, you want, you ready? Um, and it was honestly just that, that, uh, cafeteria scene where I sit next mm -hmm. to you and, mm -hmm. um, we talk about Neanderthals. Right. And that's the connection. Um, but yeah, we, uh, that was a scene and I kind of was just like, spooky i was like that was the breakdown to me and that, i was like that's what i did i just didn't break eye contact <laughs> and yeah. i just you know stared through the reader i, I forget who read with me if it was <laughs> tennyson or someone else but i just looked at him and I, you know kind of like it was that that idea of like looking for recognition in someone else or approval or uh um connection and mm -hmm. waiting for the slightest little bit of it and jumping on it. Right. Cause I, I never, you know, I was one of those guys that had just been the wall hanger, like, but with no one like, um, and sitting in the back of the class doing his work, but kind of everyone's like, that's the weirdo. That's spooky. You know, he probably had like a retainer or something that he had to wear in far school too late. Everyone. Yes. Yes. Far too late. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah, I, I saw it as the, uh, Joan Cusack role, uh, of, um, great. you know, I love that. I love that. That so, makes so much sense. Yeah. The male. That's Joan great. Cusack. So, so then you got the part obviously. And then you yes, had a you dance. We had a dance the part in the, the room. Great. Yeah. I think I, it's so funny now. I don't even remember. I don't remember where I auditioned for it now. I don't. I was in Pittsburgh. I might have gone to New York, like taking a drive yeah. out there. God, this is blowing my mind. I don't remember. But I do remember getting cast Dude, 21 years in, ago in the room. I know. That's wild. That's what freaks me out. But, yeah. but I remember filming it, and I remember you and I having to like dance to a cover version of last train to clarksville <laughs> yeah it's like yeah cheaper to do the rights to the song sounded yes, was, like sounded yes. like the monkeys but wasn't the monkeys <laughs> totally totally he told me he cast me in the room and he said there's a, the second scene is like you seduce him with uh, a song we're doing the last train to clarksville it has these stops in it and i want you to like do some crazy moves and stuff so if you want to come up with a dance um, you know, that's the song. It's going to be a cover, but it'll sound pretty much like that. Cause the right, you know, you talked about the rights and I was just like, okay. He's like, yeah, we'll do it in three or four weeks and, uh, um, we'll let you know. And I, I think that might've been the first scene we did together. Yeah, that um, was actually yeah. maybe the was cafeteria was the first scene. Man, um, I don't, I, I don't remember. remember that stuff. I don't remember I that it, stuff. Yeah. 
It was but fun, I remember though. you and I, you and I had a really good connection, and you're someone that you know. It's been a joy to see have a career uh, blossom from out of that movie, and you know, again, like it's kind of cool to see so many of the actors from the show again, Sean Hader uh, <laughs> moved on to a very, very successful directing film writing and directing career. She uh, adapted Coda, which just won best picture. Yeah. She won an Academy award for the adapted screenplay. So it's been cool to see like, Oh dude, this is this guy that I met on this random independent movie. First job I ever had really yeah. um, one of the first jobs I ever had. Uh, just go on to have such a great career. Were, so was that the first job for you as well? What were you doing at that point coming in, out of school? Well, I, you know, you know, with school, you probably do some plays in between semesters or uh, some student films at the school that you're going to, which is some things of what I did. But that was like literally on the morning of graduation day. Like we went, I went really? directly, directly from that, audition with everyone else all the other guys and got you know i brought my suit and change i went to uh radio city where uh, the new school graduation was and that was the day it was like i just auditioned got a part and then i went to graduate uh from the actor studio drama school at the new school university amazing uh, yeah <laughs> right and you know like uh it was definitely my first bigger indie feature thing everything else was shorts and you know uh, local, all non-paid stuff. Even Dorian was non-paid. I got sent up there and put up, but yeah, oh, it man, was a really? non-union. Yeah. I got paid very, very little to do it. And then I got some back-end points, I think, which I still haven't, <laughs> still haven't nice. made anything from. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, hey, indie films, it was coming of age story. Uh, won a lot of awards, which was, which was yeah. nice. Um, I went to some of the festivals, which was, my yeah. first real good ex festival experience. The irony is the first festival we were in San Jose uh, or yeah, San Jose, which is Cinequest. Um, yep. I auditioned right before I left again, basically auditioned and went to the airport to go to San Jose um, right after I auditioned for law and order criminal intent. And while I was there, you know, like the weekend I got the role Great. You know, in that. And I came back. <laughs> I have like stories like that all over the place where I'm like doing something else and I get a role and I kind of it has those two or three days of like, wow, it's like the shoulders could relax a little like I'm yeah. going back to a job. I don't have to like have <laughs> Sunday syndrome where I'm like, all right, what am I going to do tomorrow to get, you know, work? Yeah, it is funny. I mean, there is that sort of cliche of like, if you want to book a job, schedule a trip. You know, it does seem to happen a lot where. Yeah. Um, all I remember, like, I finally when I finally got to go home after the pandemic, like a job came up right before I left. And then while I was home and I had to come back early and I was like, of course, I've been yeah. sitting in my apartment for over a year. And the, the moment I finally get to leave is when, like, I booked two jobs, which is crazy. What did you yeah. do? Speaking of the Sunday uh, blues, syndrome. <laughs> yeah, Sunday syndrome. Uh, what were you doing for for work during this time? Were you in, you were in New York? Yeah. So when I graduated, uh, two thousand one. Um, obviously, everything came to a stop after nine eleven. Yeah. Um, and uh, I had been because it was the actor studio drama school. Um, I am a I become a finalist at, upon graduation. So I use that as a resource. It's a free space. Um, obviously, ultimately, I would have to audition and get in. Um, What's which a I did. So wait, what was a finalist like? So, you were just it, yeah. So as a um, as a graduate of the Act Studio Drama School, you don't have to do preliminary auditions, which happen every month. Final okay. auditions only happen once a year and uh, or twice a year in L.A. But it's like it. You have to kind of you can't just audition once and get in out of nowhere. Like we went to the school, we got trained by actor studio members in sensory and, you know, actor studio, you know, techniques, Stanislavski, Lee Strasberg, that type of thing, you know, um, the method as it were. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, um, and then you come out of school, graduating, graduating, and you get kind of use of the actor studio for two years as a finalist, you could perform with and, and kind of go up in session 
with members of the studio, which is great. I was like, as a younger looking guy, I was like, you want to play a teenager? You want to play this guy? You like, you know, play my son, my, you know, like that type of thing. Um, so I got involved in a lot of readings and, you know, random stuff that uh, kind of bridged the gap until I became a member the following year, um, which doesn't usually happen. It's just like they only let in like of the class, usually like 10 people at most, 10 or 12 people. Oh, wow. And that includes playwrights and directors. Um, so usually in our class, at least there was like, I think eight actors let in. Um, and so, yeah, it becomes a, a resource for the rest of your life is a lifetime member, um, for you to go back to in between these times. So I, I had that and I did productions there that again, similar to Dorian blues didn't pay much, but were working in New York and, you know, having people see your work and working with professional actors. And I think that was the best thing about those three years before I kind of moved out to LA was being in a place where actual working professional paid actors, in some cases, award winners like Tony, Oscar, Emmy, they just frequented and just sometimes would moderate sometimes as, you know, kind of like the teacher, sometimes they would just be there, but it's like, you know how long, you know, we can go in a, in a kind of group of our friends and be like, no one's working. And mm-hmm. all you see is the the downside of this career. But um, I think going there saw the, you know, people working on the craft, but also seeing the upside and the potential of actually making a life as an actor and, and having a career like a lifelong career. What were you picturing it being like at that time? And what has it turned out to be like for you? Um, I, I definitely thought like, because right after nine 11, I, I started getting involved in like improv, uh, you know, comedy and doing some sketch comedy as well. So those, you know, kind of like to blow off the creative juices and steam that was, you know, were pent up from no auditions happening and nothing else going on and coming right out of school with all this, you know, kind of ambition and energy and, ta- you know, I guess talent, you know? Um, but so I, connected with a manager and, you know, ultimately he was honing my skills to kind of, you know, enter into a door. I feel like every actor has their, their, their kind of best foot and their talents and their, you know, I learned from my manager, Vic Ramos uh, and Sandy Erickson, who is also still my manager. Um, Vic is, has passed away, but he, he said, I am, you know, what I'm doing is bringing you back with mock auditions for TV comedy, because I think, you know, in a, in a kind of a spread out media and a a spread out uh, business, you need to find the doorway that's going to let you in the easiest and the quickest. Like if you come out of Juilliard, you're not going to go in for, you know, your Warner brother, the WB sitcom, you know? Um, So, and obviously I'm the actor studio. So I'm like, what, gritty indie film you know uh uh, like dramas am i gonna go in for yeah what's Um, the when's the next corsese shooting what are we doing yes exactly coming from brooklyn you know like i i I felt that that might have been it but slowly i was you know given this guidance and it was tv comedy which is what you know, I saw you that one time when we tested for Happy Family. That was crazy. God, yeah, uh, that is. Now we're crazy. going in for the same role, and I'm like, <laughs> "What is going on?" And you had already been on. You know, uh, was it? Uh, what I was done, the show like? I done what I like about you by that point. Yes, what yeah. I like about yeah. you, right? Exactly. And I'm like, okay, he's out here. He's like established. I'm like, I pretty much have no shot at this, and. I'm acting in a scene with John Larroquette and I didn't they're laughing at what he did. Oh, no, no, I yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, not but me. Did you get, did you even go to, uh, I, I didn't even go to network. We were all sitting in the NBC cafeteria yeah. and they were like, they, everyone was like getting no, like messages or calls from their, their agents That's or reps great. and saying like, oh yeah, like I'll see you guys later, you know? And I'm like, I get the calls like, oh, you're not going further. Um, <laughs> I did. I went to network. It did not. It didn't go further. Yeah. Well, but there was only like two or three people left. Right. It was five to like two or three. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They cast it differently, obviously, than I thought. And the the scenes were really funny. I thought it was great. But then when I, I watched it, I and it, I think it was on for a season. It was. Yeah. 
not what I, I had read on the page. No, they went, yeah, I felt the same way. I was like, oh, okay. They, they kind of went with the people in the room that I was like, well, they're not going with these people. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're wrong. Uh, I haven't wrong seen about that, that buddy. years. Though. <laughs> <laughs> wrong oh about that, God. buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. God, that's so crazy. So was that one of your first things yeah. you tested for? So I had um, this was one of the possibly a story that I was going to tell in the, you know, the green room Patreon thing, but yeah. it's not. It's uh, I have a better one, um, but it, I had gone in for Spellbound. Um, you may have kind of gone in for that, too. Um, I don't think I did. If I did, I forgot, but I was not anywhere yeah. near it. And it was, again, a Warner Brothers NBC pilot. And then those days when we started back in the day, it was like, they were doing like 20 pilots, you know, each, yep. each network was doing like over 20 pilots, comedy and drama. And so obviously I was going in for a lot of comedy stuff. Cause I was a uh, 20 something looking like I was a teenager. And so that there's always games. There's always games. Yeah. Know? And yeah. so uh, I tested for spellbound, went to network um, and it was just me and the other dude. And, it was like everyone in a room. Um, I actually worked with Carolyn Aaron, who was in that room with me. And I told her, I was like, I remember you from that room because I've seen you on Curb and all these things. And obviously, Maisel now. But it's like, uh, I didn't get it. But on my way out, walking to the cab <laughs> outside of what used to be NBC, but the Burbank studio lot yep, now. Yep, 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 um, yep. And uh, I was walking to Olive my Avenue. cab. Right, exactly. Uh, and uh, the executive producers, uh, Rob and Suzanne, were like, you were great. We loved you. Just you were like it was just didn't work out this time. But we're going to if we get picked up, we're going to bring you back as a cousin or, you know, uh, a relative uh, recurring like, you know, you were great. Don't like it was just a, a, a matching thing. And I think you were a little young for the role. Right. S things that I couldn't help. Right. Yeah. So. That gave me hope. And then they did it again because it didn't get picked up at NBC and they did it again at Fox. And that was like a whole cycle of, you know, tests and going in and coming back to L.A. And that's when they flew you out to L.A. for a test, not even a job. It's just a test. And I was like, yep. what is this? They're giving me per diem. I got a check in the mail. I'm like, what is this? What's per diem? <laughs> Yeah. What's this $120? <laughs> yeah. So Happy Family was right after I didn't get that. And I stayed around. I, I extended my flight and paid for the, you know, change. And I used, you know, like I, I crashed with my uncle, my, you know, uncle in LA and aunt. And so it was like, I just auditioned for as many things as possible, paying for cabs to get to these auditions. And you know how much cabs are in LA to get to <laughs> yeah. Westwood, going to like Century City, Burbank, uh, you know, Sony, you know, uh, Warner Brothers, crazy. Yeah, it's kind of like now the new cab is paying uh, for a self-tape fee if you go into a studio because that's what I've been doing lately. I uh, work with yeah. a great self-tape place, the Actors Concierge, if anyone's listening in L.A. Check them out, uh, Debbie. She's awesome. But it is a thing where I'm like, now I'm paying to because I want my tape to look the best it can can look. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, how did I start paying to audition now? This is really fucked yeah. up. It's a cycle. The full cycle. Yeah. I'm back where I was like yeah. you know, 20 years ago. I feel like I'm cycling through again. Me too. A, you know, like a good way, like re kind of climbing up the ladder in a sense in this new. You Do you know, feel that paradigm. way? Do you feel like you're in a moment of reinvention or I mean, because you've you're someone who's worked steadily. I feel like I mean, we all we all know to looking in from the outside you don't see the months in between jobs that yeah. we're all stressing but but i'm i'm interested in this idea of like we were both both guys in our 20s who looked 15 16 when we came out when did you feel or do you feel like you've hit that now i'm playing an adult finally <laughs> you know i'm seen as a a grown man yeah i i think um late 20s is when i put out the call to my agents and managers. Like I, I feel uncomfortable at this point because I'm, you know, at that point, I, I don't know if I was starting to lose my hair, but at least I was thinning, you know, to okay. the point where I'm like, it, it's becoming uncomfortable for me to be in a room with uh, kids and their parents 
like because their parents have to go. No, yeah, their their parents had to go with them to auditions because they were actually under eighteen. They were actually the age of the character, and here I was, twenty six, twenty eight, going in for a sixteen, seventeen year old, and I'm living on my own in L.A. And I'm like, this is. Yeah, this is this is really uncomfortable. And also generationally, I felt I had to do so much more work to figure out what the kids were saying these days, what they wow. were into. And, you know, I was never Did a video game. Did you feel like you yeah. were trying to pass as that age or was everyone aware that you're in you're in your 20s? Were casting directors aware how what how old you were? At that point they had to be, but I still made the efforts. I didn't like uh, it's like I, I put all the choices in that I would have if I was auditioning at that age, but I just took responsibility out of the equation, right. <laughs> you know, like paying bills, right. you know, like right. you know, living life and all the stresses of adult life. I, I just tried to, you know, remove that from the picture and it just simplified the, you know, the scene was about what the scene was about and just kind of like, I always played those characters that were having fun, but I think, and I don't know if you had the same experience and I'd be interested to know, but it's like there's there was a time when I was worried that how am I going to leap to someone in their 20s or, you know, someone in their 30s when I don't necessarily look that at the point that I was. And so I realized quickly that one, I didn't have to be overweight to play because that was the thing with Spellbound is like I was skinny and I was supposed to be like the schlubby uh, the oh, brother, the messed up brother and like kind of like the party slacker, lazy brother was always or friend was always the kind of thing I was going on, you know, going in on like fun, right. fun, fun, always with this, you know, punchlines and, you know, chilling out on the couch playing video games or, you know, watching TV um, or coming up with. I think there was one where he was working out. He got an abdominizer and it was like, he would just lay on the couch and like, you probably auditioned for the same thing where he would just lay on the couch and work out by the thing, you know, jolting his muscles. Yes. You know, and he would be sleeping and his brother would come in and be like, he's just laying belly out on the couch. Um, (laughs) And it was never that heavy, you know? Yeah. Um, But uh, um, just moving this thing out of the way. I, uh, yeah, I, I realized that everyone needed a friend. Everyone has a best friend. Everyone has a not everyone has a brother, but people have other people in there. And, and those roles are less defined. You know, good writers define them as well as they could. But when they're welcome and open to new reads. And so w- one of my agents at the time was just like, you're always coming in, you know, uh, you're not necessarily the, what they have in mind, but you're mm-hmm. always the other, you're always going to be the other choice. Right. And so I latched onto that and I kind of leaned into what I felt like I brought to roles and, you know, that kind of sense of loyalty and, and friendship, but also fun and, and a balance of kind of earnestness. Um, that sounds so, like yeah. really solid advice. And, you know, b- going back all the way to your Dorian Blues audition, I feel like it was totally on, you know, hit the nail on the head. You know, yeah. obviously like, okay, you're not right for this, but there's this other role, you know, that may be a little less defined that someone who's talented with a good personality can come in and, and give it something, you know, yeah. that's maybe not there on the page. Completely. Yeah. And that's pretty much what I kind of try to do as best I can. I, I think you'll find as well who someone who's played recurring and series regular roles that they're don't necessarily those things don't necessarily work for one day guest stars or the the, the role that's just going to show up and has like a three dimensional story. They want people that are just going to serve that, you know, kind of uh, serve that plot point. Um, and kind of go on with their days, not someone that might snag the audience and pull them yeah. off track and yeah. be like, oh, and, I want to see what this guy's going on. And then that the writers can go, oh, let's start writing towards Austin's strength here because the writers aren't going to do that when you're a guest star. They're yes. not going to go, oh, this guy's got these skills. There's no time. The role's already been written. You're on yeah. tracks at that point. So that's totally. true. I mean, I never thought about it in that way, but it's totally right. Because in those cases, in those guest stars, especially those one day, they're looking for that 
actual person the way that they look in their minds like we need this exact type and it needs to be plugged right into what we've got and how it's going to serve this yes yeah, exactly show that's already wheel on wheels and heading heading down the road yeah that they arced out already and they're not adding <clears throat> you know you know this you know defense attorney or you know <laughs> witness witness to a crime uh or patient they're not oh we're gonna see you again in the er you know no you're like, <laughs> yeah once you're good or like you're out or like oh there's just a little bit of quirkiness to this character that we didn't plan on but we find intriguing no we don't they don't want any additional stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just give us the stock character and I find, and this is just a subjective thing, and I obviously won't talk about exactly <laughs> what shows I'm talking about. But when you when you come in as actors that are trained like us and have the experience with, you know, kind of holding up like major roles, whether it's a film or a TV show, um, and come into a situation where they they don't necessarily want anyone to compete with the leads in a sense of like you know i i find that i i i don't think it's lucky that i get to do recurring roles and guest stars on really good shows on shows that the the leads are solid award winning you know not that that's everything but it's like you know solid seasoned actors that are just going to be are going to make happy. me better, but I'm going to make better by being in the scene with them. And are going to be happy that the supporting cast is fleshed out with good, talented, funny, thoughtful actors. Completely. No insecurities. You know, the, it's just every, every piece of the puzzle that you could put in that's going to be, that's going to make it better is not a threat to any other piece of the puzzle. It's going to be, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's just going to make a better puzzle, you know? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to take a look at a few of those puzzle pieces uh, that, that yeah. Austin has played over the years. We're back with Austin Basis. Austin, uh, so you mentioned it. You, we we got off into really talking about it, which is great. But you mentioned you're from Brooklyn. We didn't really talk much about your background. So I assume growing up in Brooklyn, you were like, how did you get into acting in the first place? Were you going to see plays in in in, in Manhattan? Like, what was going on? Yeah, like uh, Manhattan. As a kid, we were a lower middle class family. My mom was a teacher. My dad did a number of jobs. He owned the candy store for a bit. Uh, you know, he That's worked for fun. an employment agency during the crash in the 80s and had to like, you know, uh, that that was a tough job. Um, wow. And so uh, it, we once a year during the Christmas break, we would go to TKTS in the city buy tickets to whatever available show there was and then go see a show. Most of the time it was a musical, like, I mean, like cats, starlight express, like, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, we saw, we Les saw Mis, all the things. Phantom. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Miss Saigon. Yep. Um, yep. Yep. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. So we would go once a year and we knew that it was during that week we would go up, you know, try to see, uh, Rockefeller Center, <laughs> like it was never. We never got to see the tree. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, got to see the tree, right? And just walk past it and be like, "Whoa! All right, let's go get some to eat." Um, yeah, um, yeah. And so it, that that was my experience. I also went to um, for some reason the the schools I the the elementary school I went to did not have a school play every year. Oh it wow! Was, yeah, you know, um, unfortunate. But my luck came when I went to sleepaway camp every summer and would do whatever my age group's play was. So from Little Shop of Horrors to Bye Bye Birdie to Grease. Um, now, I got to uh, pause you right yeah. there. Little Shop. Yeah. Were you were you were you Seymour or were you Mr. Muchnik? 
Because oh, you could go God, either way. I could. Uh, I was talking to my friend that I was just working with that he was like, you'd be a great mushnik. I'm like, <laughs> well, because I'm balding and I have a mustache right now. But I didn't have that at like 11 years old. I played the dentist, Orin Scrivella. Oh, that, of course. Yeah. That, then there's the third character that you're perfect for, the dentist, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and then when I was like the the co-dramatics instructor, when I came back as a you know, college student, I I actually, you know, they usually had a, a staff member or a counselor in the play. It was yeah. always like, like if we did Bye Bye Birdie, Birdie was a counselor. So it was fun to see a counselor getting like a Elvis right. costume. And so I played the, I played Audrey too. When I was the, right. uh, I played and built and built Audrey too. I made the, uh, I made the plant. What camp was this? Was this a theater camp or just a general summer camp? No, just, just upstate, uh, Camp Monroe, uh, in, uh, Monroe, New York, Chester, kind of like by Woodbury Commons. Um, you know, that upstate on the throughway. You're talking 17. to a Kansas boy who moved directly <laughs> to Los Angeles after college. In Did you Pittsburgh. ever? Oh yeah. Did you? You never went to? Uh, I never. The, I never um, lived in New York. I would go to New York a few times a year to audition. Sadly, don't do wow. that as much anymore. All my friends have now relocated out here to L.A. The only times I was in New York, the uh, uh, most time I spent in New York was was filming Dorian Blues upstate in Albany. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, have I, a, I have a big blind spot on the East Coast. Yeah, there is a huge re- Renaissance fair upstate on on the way to my oh, camp, oh. Um, and that that was like a big thing. Every every year, we'd kind of see the beginning and the end of it. If we if we you know were it was see, a forest. See all yeah. the fresh faced uh, knights and bar yes. tavern maids, and then yes. you come back and, and the mead, everyone, all the mead that was being drunken, and then everyone just looks like they've aged a decade at the end of the summer, <laughs> right? And in, in the the uh, stifling heat of upstate New oh York. Oh my god. This I can't yeah, imagine. Humidity. Well, somehow you found your way to to yeah. uh to the actor's studio. Oh, also, did you ever go to any of the actor's studio tapings? Were you ever in the audience for any of that stuff? Yeah. So, um part of my three it was a 3-year program and part of a, a lecture, quote unquote, lecture class was attending the inside the actor studio tapings. And so every semester, I think there was about uh, seven or eight tapings. So um, in all, like, I guess, 14, 12 to 14 a year, or I'm talking about like close to 50 tapings. I was at wow. in the 40s, in the 40s, at least. Um, and uh, yeah, I always wanted to ask a question. And I've asked, I asked a couple questions and a couple were so long and everyone had questions that it didn't get to me before. Never made it, it to air. I did make one and it was with uh, Mary Tyler Moore. And um, I realized too, that if you ushered, if you like help people get in and cause there were different seats and different sections for the students, for the people that were doing a, you know, just visiting guests, there were like a VIP, you know, reserve seats. So there was a whole thing that you would do before you get to put your bag in the seat that you want to sit. So for Mary Tyler Moore and for like that semester, when I was doing that, I'd put my bag right dead center so that I knew where she was going to sit. And I got the microphone first. Um, and partly Fantastic. because I, I did it because I have type one diabetes and she was, she has type one diabetes and she, um, she, I knew I wanted to ask a question about acting and performing, you know, especially on stage when there's no, you know, cut. Yeah. What <laughs> you was know? your, what was your question and what was the answer? Uh, my question was, um, how do you, and this is at a point when the technology that we have now, this is, you know, 20 something years ago, but the technology we have now to like maintain and manage your blood sugar levels was not what it is now. We, there's like all this technology that allows you to see it 24 seven. Whereas then it was just taking your blood sugar and guessing, and then, you know, making the measurements, taking a, you know, taking an injection of insulin and then hoping that your activity matches your, you know, right. Intake of you, food and what you're yes. estimating, you're doing a little bit of Completely. math and a little science and keeping your yes. fingers crossed. And even going back further in time, it was like even more, you know, uh, hopeful or, you know, like, uh, almost like, a, a crapshoot. But I, if, you know, I had done like in a college, I did, uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. And the whole point of the play, you know, similar to what waiting for Godot is they're stuck on stage. They can't leave. 
they like at least my character, you know, uh, Gildenstern, he never left the stage. And so in that situation where there's three acts and two of them are going to go together, that's like probably over an hour on stage. And so in that situation, how do I make sure with all the energy I'm exerting? That was basically the question is like when you're on stage and, you know, like, how do you make sure that you're not your diabetes is not going to get in the way of like your performance and and the performance as a whole? Um, yeah. And she was, yeah, she was very kind and, you know, just kind of like knowing, always testing, making sure in between in breaks, testing and making sure. And, you know, you know, you know your body and, you know, your um, you know, when you feel low and, you know, when you feel high. And so, you know, kind of being uh, attentive to that, especially when you're about to, you know, kind of go on stage and perform. And yeah. Also sounds like she's giving good advice to actors who are hardcore drug addicts. Oh, yeah, totally. Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Don't do too much, but you know yourself. Just you know your coming, limits. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. If you're, if you're, if you're, uh, if you, yeah, if you, if you got the shakes, that's a bad thing. Drink a half a bottle of wine and get back out. Yes. If you're a drug addict and doing theater, you probably shouldn't be doing this. Why don't you just stick to alcoholism? Just go go get, go get help. Sorry. All the greats. Yeah. 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 I don't mean to, don't mean to make light of a situation, but it, you know, it's like, Oh yeah, this could pertain to that as well. It is National Diabetes Awareness Month, so. Hey, there you go. Perfect. Timed it. <laughs> right, timed, exactly. timed it perfectly. Um, yeah. Okay, before we get to your roles, I gotta ask James yeah. Lipton. Any, any, what's, what was he like? Uh, he is exactly the same in real life. He's a, he's like a low talker, but he explains uh, when he low talks, he's like. I do it and he and it was a room full of people and he kind of goes whispers like this and he says all the great kings uh, yeah he said he said <clears throat> all the great kings and royalty and important people in this world speak low because it's not their job to speak loud to be heard it's your job to lean in <laughs> to listen <laughs> he told the story similar to that like you know like it's not my job to be loud so you, you can yeah. hear me it's your job to to you know hear me yeah like, also uh, i'm a king <laughs> yes totally totally um i am royalty but he uh he had that kind of like that swagger um all the mm-hmm. time kind of like he would stare through you and kind of um he he always we used to say and you know whenever i think i introduced my parents he would say the same thing he's like he has such a cherubic face <laughs> but then he opens his mouth and that voice comes out <laughs> i had more of a new york accent then so um he was always uh, you know uh he was always awed by the the paradox in my cherubic young face and my deep like yeah new York your, your voice. mushnik your mushnik yes, voice my mushnik voice and my seymour face <laughs> <laughs> did he ever give you like i'm just curious as a him as an acting teacher like did you're like oh man james gave me the best note did you ever get a good note like a good did you ever well, have an aha moment or is he not teaching you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, no, he taught through the, like his lecture was the, you know, cause he would watch all of the, the work of the guest and he would, you know, compose these questions and, mm-hmm. um, and do all that work in between. It was every two weeks that the, the, the taping would happen on like a Monday night. So he wasn't um, teaching, so- he wasn't teaching class at that point. No, no, he, um, he, he was there. Um, uh, he was there my my thesis night. So like every opening night of the thesis, which was a Wednesday um, at Circle in the Square downtown on Bleecker Street, which is something else now. It's not there anymore. But he mm-hmm. would be there in attendance, and so we were the second week, and he was there. And um, he I, the way he said um, he said it during our orientation, but he was talking about like. Um, South American actors and, and, you know, people that were from Brazil and Colombia and, and 
you know, the people that were in our class. And he's like, what you don't know about them is they're fucking brilliant. <laughs> and then he, he looks, he's like, but don't worry. You're all fucking brilliant. <laughs> Why? But, you know, dramatically, I can't even get to yeah. the depths of his, yeah. you know, um, but that's basically what he said. Do you know how brilliant that was? You know, <laughs> on my opening night of my thesis, which felt good and then felt hard to <laughs> live up to the next yeah. five performances. Yeah, exactly. Well, that one was brilliant. So yeah. don't have yeah. much room to, to grow here. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess I guess then question asker could be one of your early t- TV roles. Uh, I'm going to go down your IMDb list. I'm going to name yeah. some characters you've played. And you're gonna you're gonna tell me what project it was. Maybe give us a little bit of uh, story about that project. Yeah. This is a little game that I call "Show Me Your Name." Yeah, All right. I love this. Now let's see. Angry Deli Vigilante. Um, I yeah, I forget what the the movie was called, but this was quite quite a story. Um, actually, it's so funny that you asked that because it was probably my first and only time using squibs squibs are like squibs are like when you get shot they put like a little pop of you know a patch pouch of blood and you know kind of a little kind of explosive thing in either wherever you're supposed to get shot they put it on you and they kind of set it off when you're supposed to be shot and it's a timing thing so that when you get shot you know like you're supposed to react even though you don't feel it and you're not in control of you know, when it's going to go off. This is, so by the way, a, pro- a project called Hazard. Hazard, right? Hazard. I, I was going to say that, um, but uh, yeah. So uh, it was actually a Japanese independent film um, about uh, New York, but it was like a Japanese gang that only spoke Japanese, and the um, the main guy in it was actually an American Japanese American that did not speak Japanese. So he was, he got wrapped up in this gang. This is what I remember of it. And so he had to like constantly be looking at a, you know, like a a Japanese American English trans, not on Google. It was before like smartphones. So he was actually had like a little booklet in his hand the whole time. And they'd be holding up liquor stores or, you know, convenience stores, which is, what happened with me, it was a deli and I was someone that was fighting back and I had a gun, but the setup of this shot, and you can imagine the audition was, I had one translator in the room and everyone else spoke, spoke Japanese. So wow. I was just doing what they told, told me to do. And apparently I got the role. And so on set, it was the same thing. Almost everyone spoke Japanese and like the, the people that were cast didn't. And the only, you know, all the actors, only a couple of them spoke both. Most of them just spoke Japanese. So, cause they didn't really have to speak English. This was a one a one shot. And it was supposed to be two shots, but because they took so long rehearsing it, they had only one shot before the curfew for the cops to like let off <laughs> like fake gunshots in this neighborhood in Brooklyn. So like <laughs> it was basically they, they hold up three stores and they get into a car with the camera, Steadicam, and they go along this neighborhood and it was one shot. They like were out of the car. They go in the car. Then oh, that's it, cool. stays, it stays in the car with the guy for the first holdup. You see the other guys go in with guns. You see flashes. You see like everything. They run out with money. They come in and they drive up to the second. I think mine was the second. And they come in. They all come in with the camera. So it was like you had to get marks. You had to get like know when things were happening. And again, there was no lines. It was like improv. So it was just us. They had lines, but it was us reacting to them holding us up. And, you know, at some point I was given a kind of a cue to whip out my gun and say, not this guy, (laughs) not this time (laughs) or something like that. Like, like not so fast, buddy. Yeah. 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 (laughs) um, And then come at them shooting and then there was all these, like, I'd never done anything with guns, like, 
I, I'm a uh, <laughs> I'm a I'm a Democrat from New York, and <laughs> yeah. you know, barely independent, but like I I had shot rifles and BB guns in camp one yep. summer, and <laughs> I had never held a handgun. And here I was using a real handgun with blanks and about wow. to get shot. And the guy's like, don't put your hand on the squib. It might blow up. Like, and I'm like, okay, that's all the acting I need. Right. And so I do the thing and like, I had to obviously fake the pain and stuff, but I, I was like, don't, he was like, don't point it at anyone. That's how Brandon Lee died. Yikes. I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. Like, and so I'm like, I don't need it. And then I only have one shot at this. <laughs> You know, one shot, literally. Yeah, one <laughs> shot on my leg, and one. I yeah, I think I had a full barrel of like five blanks or something. So I shoot out my gun, and they shoot me, and then I like go down in you know in throbbing pain, and you know like that. That was the part. Me yelling at Amazing. them. You know. Yeah. How did it feel in that audition when a room full of uh, Japanese filmmakers looked at you and said, yes, deli man, American <laughs> deli man. <laughs> uh, angry. I, I wish there was another angry deli uh, customer uh, because I would be angry deli customer number one. Uh, That's true. Yeah. Angry. Uh, was it angry deli vigilante or something? Angry like deli weird... vigilante. Angry deli right. vigilante is honestly the yes. best role role I've I think I've ever ever heard. That, that is, is not an actual awesome. name, right? Yes, it's like yes. you know yeah, yeah, everything yeah. about the guy. You know, All you need to know. That's my part. That's what I did. Angry. <laughs> I was angry. I was a vigilante, and I got shot. All right. Well, we're ru- we're ru- we're starting to run out of time here, and I know there's going to yeah. be some people upset if uh, if I don't mention J T Forbes. Yes. Well, that this was Beauty a, and the Beast. Um, yeah. That was uh, 66 yeah. episodes. That's a fucking impressive run there. Yes. That's good. Yes. That must have been a nice four or five seasons just being like, whoo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can take a um, little bit of a break. <laughs> right. Uh, I, you know, when I started kind of getting bigger roles, I think, you know, I don't know if you're like this, but if you come into some money, I think as a, as a kind of, um, a struggling actor, you do like one of two things. You pay off debt and or purchase something that you've never been able to purchase before. So it was like my first show was like I could finally lease a car on my own. Right? Yeah. Paid off yeah. paid off my debt first, yep. then lease a car on my own. Second show, Beauty and the Beast, paid off my debt, finance that car. Right. Yeah. Because it, it, yeah. it's, I've been working in Canada and it was just chilling in LA. So, yeah. Um, you know, low mileage. It was, it was all good. Um, so, like, those are the things you think about. But also, as a character, it, I was excited just because it, it gave me the opportunity to do a lot of things that characters, side characters like I usually play or supporting characters don't usually get to do. Like, heroic things, romantic things. Um, you know, yes, I had punchlines and, you know, comic relief and a lot of, you know, sarcasm and, you know, um, maybe cynicism, but more sarcasm and, you know, being a wise ass, you know, kind of that's how I grew up in, in New York. So it, it was appropriate and it took place in New York. So I didn't have to worry about, you know, hiding my New York isms. Um, and my dialect that I had been trained to try to block. Hide, um, yeah. Hide, yeah. right. Um, but yeah, it, it was a four-year. We did four seasons, two full seasons, two half seasons. Um, and we won People's Choice Awards. I, you know, was kind of in the, I would say, the rise of Twitter, you know, versus the fall uh, of Twitter uh, as we're in right now. But the, 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 the contact and the... Um, relationship and communication with the fans. Yeah. The interaction um, there is totally Yeah, The interaction replaced what I thought early in my career would be a live audience in a sitcom Mm. or being able to blend theater and, and TV. Cause that was, that was the ideal. I was like, you have an audience, you have the energy that you're able to feed off of, but you're, it's also being taped. So you don't have to be over the top. You could do subtle humor. You, you know, um, you could do and you don't have to restrain the big instincts. I'm a six, two, I'm a big guy. I'm over 200 pounds. Like it's like, I have to restrain a lot to be, you know, 
not over the top on like a small screen. And so um, this allowed me to, you know, you don't have the audience immediately, but it was, there was an excitement when you live tweeted and you could kind of watch with the audience, you know, how, you know, the show, like you knew the script, you, you maybe saw some edits because of ADR, but really it was that audience experience that I had been missing kind of all those years. And That's cool. I, think, I never thought yeah. about it in that way, but you're totally right. Like you could yeah. get that real time reaction and yeah. know what's working and if a choice you made paid off or not. And it worked for the the showrunners too, because they made some choices based on, you know, the audience wanting to see characters together and, you know, um, and they probably sped up that process. Um, you know, it was a combination of keeping the show on the air, but also like appeasing the fans that really wanted to see the main two characters like, you know, together and consummate. And they did it early in the first season when most shows like, you know, if it had been in the w the WB days or um, back in the kind of early, early aughts, <laughs> um, it, it would have been, that would have been seasons before those characters yeah. got together. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's great. So, and did that just come to you through the good old fashioned audition system and testing that, for it? Yes. I had, um, from my experience on Life Unexpected, which was another CW show produced by CBS TV studios, um, I had gotten that role and the, the director and executive producer of the pilot uh, was this guy, Gary Fleeter. Um, and he's, he's one of those guys who directed tons of pilots. I mean, probably more than double digit pilots that he's directed got picked up. You know, he wow. was like the guy, if you want a drama to get picked up, cause he came from film and he always shot it cinematically, you know? And so uh, he had done before I got life unexpected, he did a reshoot of a pilot called life on Mars. And so um, I don't know if you remember that show, Harvey Keitel and Michael yeah, Carioli. Yeah, were in the, yeah, yeah. That right. rings a bell. So I was in New York visiting and the audition came up and I went to the audition in New York for like a local hire. And it was this role in the pilot that they were recasting and reshooting. And I got it. And so I stayed, did the, did the role and he directed it. And so when I went to test for uh, life unexpected, he was there. Cool. Um, and I was like, Hey, what's up? You know, I'm auditioning for a totally opposite role. Don't think of me as a psycho killer keeping, you know, girls in my closet, you know, like <laughs> th think of me as the lovable roommate that never got the girl and I used have to be no secrets. There's yes, nothing hidden right. under the bed. No, not at all. Just a secret crush on the, the main character who will never ever be with me in any, you know, any set, you know, version of the show. <laughs> yeah. So then he directed or he was directing Beauty and the Beast, the pilot, and he called me or emailed me. He's like, I'm going to have you come in and read for the, the executive producers. And so I did. We taped it, probably did it probably like five or six times, which is very unique for a, um, you know, they just wanted a good tape, right? Yeah. So, worked it. Um, and we worked it and we played around with it. And there was a whole room of people outside, which is like, I'm like, I, I've been in here for like 20 minutes, you know? Um, and I've been in those situations where, you know what, like, I've been in that situation too. <laughs> and it sucks when you're on, on the outside, but when yeah. you're in it, I'm like, I am taking my fucking time. This is my yes. time to get this job. <laughs> I mean, they were, they were like, do you want to do it again? Any, anything you want to try? And I'm like, uh, sure, sure. I'll do it again. You know, um, show them something different. Um, and then I booked it off the tape. Like I, I test, I didn't have to test. Oh, that was the test Dude. because because it was CBS, because it was CW, the same people. It was very close to when life unexpected. It was like the same casting people at CBS and CW, the same, you know, president and, you know, all that stuff. It was like the same people. They knew me. They were going to be seeing it. And so it was just a matter of like, oh, Austin. Oh, Austin. You know, and like, Wild. that was How it. great. What a dream. What a dream. Yeah. yeah. All right. Finally. Uh, yes. I'm going to say again, this is a bit of a softball, uh, but I'll get I'll, people will be upset. I did play Al baseball, so I might. Okay, yeah. good. Alvin. <laughs> yes. Well, 
Alvin is uh, the role I just finished on uh, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is obviously a juggernaut of a <laughs> of a part, a show, and uh, um, the upcoming season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is the fifth and final season, and we just wrapped last week, um, and it was you know, such an uh, unbelievable experience for eight months. I was going back and forth to New York. Wow. Yeah. Must be cool to go back and film something there. That's that got that much of a New York spirit um, yeah. back in your hometown. Yeah. I, I think it also allowed me to see parts of like New York and Brooklyn that I was staying and shooting on one side of Brooklyn when I had grown up on the other side of Brooklyn and Brooklyn is huge. It's like a city unto itself. And so like I had been certain places like prospect park, but I'd never like lived there. I, I knew people that lived there. I knew the vibe there. Um, but I never like lived and stayed there. Access and, to it in a way. Right. I'd occasionally go to the arts, the art mu movie theater, you know, on uh, right off the park. And we'd occasionally go there for concerts and, and, and stuff. And I played a soccer close by at the, um, I think it was called the parade grounds. We used to play, you know, when our field was being renovated, we'd played at the play, the parade grounds. And so it's like these little touches of my life. And then all of a sudden I'm in park slow for a while. I'm staying at a friend's in Gowanus. I'm staying downtown Brooklyn where, you know, it's very, it's, you know, gentrifying. There's fancy hotels, fancy apartment buildings. There's awesome restaurants and, and all this stuff. And, um, and I am now either walking or taking the train, a train that I never really took, you know, the G train cool. to uh, <clears throat> to to set and working in Brooklyn on a show that takes place in New York, um, 20 plus years into my career uh, for an Emmy winning, you know, and nominated yeah, show. Huge show. Um, yeah. And playing, you know, a somewhat pivotal role in the final season, which it's exciting that we're in eight episodes. We didn't know going in. We knew we were recurring, but it's it's it was kind of exciting. Each episode, we'd find out we're in again, and then to find right. out, you know, what are we going to do in that episode? What's you know? And sometimes we didn't have the script until the last minute, so we'd ask Rachel. We're like, so what are we doing? Like, what what's the you know what's the what's the storyline? Um, we shot out of order too in one case, and so we're shooting a future episode and we hadn't shot the episode before. Okay. So we literally had to say, so what, what happened? Just happened? The, <laughs> you, you, you had, they haven't done it either. So it was like, they just know the arc and the, you know, the, the outline. And so they don't know the specifics, but they say, this is, this is the gist of what you did. Um, so we know when we come out of that and we're That's doing wild. this other episode, um, it was more important for them to know because they're, you know, more, they have more of an arc and, and, a you know, kind of a nuanced arc where our arc is a little less nuanced. Got it. Um, well, yeah, we're looking forward to that. Uh, yeah. So I guess the segue is perfectly into plugs. Look for Austin on the new season of marvelous Mrs. Maisel when it drops, uh, where can people find you online and, At uh, any, anything else you want to plug? At Austin Basis, um, and uh, it's pretty much at Austin Basis everywhere. At Austin Basis Instagram is probably what I use mainly. Yeah. At Austin Basis Twitter for now, uh, <laughs> while while I have my blue check mark. I um, mean, I mean, we all can have blue check marks now for eight bucks a month. I so know. who? I, I mean, yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm real. My finger is just hovering over the delete account tab yeah. right now it's real um, i mean i never use it anyway but yeah but i do i like it's like different age groups for different <laughs> social medias like uh some of the uh um older fans that i have are facebook uh i think it's an official austin basis or austin dot basis or something um you'll know it, it you'll find it, him yeah look you'll for find the, me. look for that cherubin yeah. face you'll know you'll know when you found it yeah and then you'll, uh, this is a little bit of a plug, but it's like, I know you've written comic books and you're, you, I know you did the, um, true blood stuff. And obviously I've watched and, uh, you know, kind of looked up to your career and the road that you've taken from, Oh, well, thanks. You know, vice, like vice versa, you. buddy. Thank you. Big love, you know, big love, <laughs> true blood. Um, and just, you know, kind of also 
like pivoting into like this writing and doing the comic books, I've done similar thing with uh, um, the the show the this shirt that i'm wearing that obviously can't be seen on a podcast but it's a it's a superhero team that i've uh with my writing partners come up with that we wrote and did a, a kickstarter a few years ago for a oh, comic dude. book series i didn't know yeah. about this yeah for a comic book series called the kinetics um about a team of uh kids with disabilities and um uh chronic illnesses oh my that, gosh uh, this is awesome that turn their per- perceived weaknesses into their greatest strengths. And um, we, we did a series, we raised like $11,000 on Kickstarter to distribute it, um, self-distribute it. And we've just finished a 200 page graphic novel like this week. Oh, uh, dude. To uh, now kind of go back out um, and try to pitch to, you know, publishers and all that stuff and it's great it's like because i grew up with type 1 diabetes so there's a character that has diabetes and because of all the technology he merges with his you know technology and becomes cyabetes so he's like a (laughs) diabetic cyborg love Um, it and so we have some like really cool characters that you've never seen before and that um you know don't deny their disability or chronic illness but um use use it to 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 be their strength. You That's know? awesome. Um, yeah. Congrats. Yeah. I, I've got to see this. You got to send me a link or let me know how I can buy. No, a yeah, yeah. I'll definitely a, send you a link. Right. Yeah, please do. Congrats. Awesome. Well, that wraps up this episode, but you're going to come join us over on the Patreon in yep. the green room. Do you want to tease the audience with what that story you were going to share is going to be over there? Yeah, it's, uh, it goes back to my days at the actor studio doing readings and, and, productions there and it was my um my fun <laughs> crazy story about uh al pacino and working with him and oh uh um uh, marissa tomei Liev schreiber and uh diane weist were also in the production and oh boy. uh <laughs> <Say> <laughs> no more. parsons estelle parsons <laughs> uh the uh the the mom on roseanne roseanne's mom uh, and academy award winner for bonnie and clyde uh, was the director. So fantastic. All right. Well, thanks, Austin. Thanks for joining us on the show. We'll see uh, some of you uh, over in the green room. Okay. Austin and I will see you backstage in the Slate Your Name green room. You can hear that episode right now over at patreon.com slash Slate Your Name. Don't forget to follow, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast app. Please tell a friend about the show. Uh, also, if you're a Apple podcast person, write us a five-star review. I might read it on the air. Write to me. I want to hear from you. Ask me a burning Hollywood cue or share your thoughts at slityournamepod at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at McMills and check out my other podcast, Bigfoot Collectors Club, which I co-host with actor Bryce Johnson and musician Riley Bray, who also did the music for this podcast that you're listening to. Thank you, Riley. I also want to thank dear John Forrest for editing and engineering this episode. Thanks for your hard work, John. All right, everybody, if we don't see you in the green room, We will see you back here next week. And remember, don't call us. We'll call you.